Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And guess what, folks? Back by popular demand, we have Tempo here from RFF Lifestyle. Tempo and I were on FaceTime the other day, and we got talking about some some stuff. And I said, hold up, hold up, just wait a second. For, just wait a second for a minute. Now, stop. Let's do this on a podcast. Because turns out Tempo's really smart. Never would have guessed talking to him. You just never would. <laughs> no, not at all. I have the attention span of a rodent, okay? Uh, gr- great joke to start off this podcast is uh, why, does, why is somebody with ADHD bad at comedy? Why? Let's go ride our bikes. Oh, my God. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, it's mainly because most of my knowledge has come outside of my career and um, most of my preferred ways of learning are through podcasts and through audiobooks and like really going into deep dives and you know sometimes I don't even talk to my wife for like three or four hours <laughs> because I'm so happy I found my preferred way of learning so like I, I was just we were just calling to catch up and chat because you know we're kind of like you know close friends, friends. but let's turn it into something that can make an impact on somebody's health why not I'm all for it yeah I think that on our podcast, we don't um, we don't talk about the same stuff that you do as much. So, like Connor and Bones, both are health coaches. They both have a ton of expertise in a lot of cool areas, but we don't get into necessarily the uh, the medical side of things. So, you bringing that level of expertise in is very helpful. And when we talk about this stuff, and I'm just like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's put it on the podcast. So here we are. Um, we're going to talk about some stuff and some things. I love it when people on podcasts are like, yeah, so we talk about this thing. And I, I've talked about it on your podcast before, too. I'm really passionate about this thing. And we're going to get into it. But, you know, I've said this before. I've said this a lot of times before. They talk for like 10 minutes and don't actually say anything. So we're going to get into it. First question that we sort of dove into was, what is the primary cause of weight gain Ooh, man this is such a phenomenal subject um <laughs> but what what i want to first say like off of this topic is that i do want to let everybody know first things first that most of these are evolving metabolic theories keyword is theory is that there is actually a physiological explanation for a lot of these potential causes but as we know with any type of disease it's multifactorial meaning that there are many different types of potential causes that increase the probability of having it or decrease the probability of having it so i want to get everybody from that standpoint that these most of the time are metabolic theories that are backed up with a physiological component to them the second thing is that i am not a doctor you have to say <laughs> that nowadays anytime you have knowledge about any subject or anything that you have 
maybe potential valuable insight, you have to say, I'm not a doctor. So I'm not a doctor. Um, I don't want to be one. I think there are great people that are designed to be one. Um, but I value my time with my wife and, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be on call all the time. And, you know, I'm more the holistic outside treatment option. So I'm not a doctor, but I do want to dive into what I believe based on these theories, what the primary causes of weight gain are. And me personally, if we're thinking about it from a scientific or physiological level, I believe that majority of weight gain is caused by a hormonal imbalance. And when you are thinking about weight gain in itself, we generally are thinking about hormones that are mainly related to metabolism. So one that we've kind of touched on previously in podcasts is just the idea of insulin. We talked about type 2 diabetes and how that's kind of related. We have to remember that insulin is just one example of a hormonal imbalance that people are used to being in. And we have to kind of understand what insulin does. Um, Insulin is predominantly going to be two things. It's designed to store energy and increase growth. So a great example of somebody who is insulin resistant is a child. They are growing. They are having high insulin levels. They have a high demand of energy intake. This is why kids are like, give me all the carbs you have. Give me all the fats you have is because they are continuing to grow, which is a great responsibility of insulin. But at the same time, it's also responsible. Responsible for storing energy. So once you start to get at a certain developmental age, when you're done growing, you've met your actual biological set and you're actually into adulthood, physically or mentally, um, then you are going to have a point where you're releasing the hormone insulin way too frequently. And when you release any hormone way too frequently, majority of them are based on lifestyle choices, they eventually become resistant where they don't function, where they don't work properly to the point where we want them to. And these hormones like insulin, where we got cortisol, we have leptin, we have ghrelin, all of these types of things based on metabolic syndrome or just your metabolism, these are the ones that tend to be linked the most with weight gain. And another great example to kind of go into the primary cause of weight gain as this theory is pregnancy. You know, that is an example of a hormonal imbalance. What happens when you're growing another wonderful child that's about to be a wonderful gift to society is that it's going to cause some weight gain. Because your hormones are all over the place. You might have a higher level of hormonal imbalances with insulin. You might have a lot of changes in food habits where you're like, oh, eggs are terrible, but I want some grapefruit right now. Like it, there's like these certain metabolic shifts and metabolic changes. And the higher you are in this resistance, the higher that your hormones are, rather than being at baseline, it becomes harder and harder to get out of that weight loss like status that you're in so So that's what i believe is a theory of that can relate to the primary cause of weight gain in our society physiologically here's a question that might titillate you a little bit uh, (laughs) what's the weirdest pregnancy craving you ever heard of weirdest pregnancy craving yeah so you're talking about like when when a woman is pregnant right she might crave one thing, you know, like, oh, those eggs smell disgusting, but I want grape. Right. Or whatever. Uh, so what's, this is what's probably... the most interesting one you've heard. 
So this is probably a much better subject for my wife. She is a uh, labor and delivery nurse. Oh, damn. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how her podcasting ability is. I'm sure she's wonderful. If you're hearing this, honey, <laughs> you're great. Um, I'm just defending myself here. But yeah. I think she's a better like answer for that. But the weirdest thing I've heard is that I want Cheetos. Like, I don't. They said I don't want any type of meat all i want are cheetos i have this natural hunkering craving for something that is high in energy and these foods are high in two forms of energy high in carbs high in refined fats so like the craving for energy is different in everybody when they go through pregnancy but at the end of the day like there's definitely a hormonal imbalance that's going on, and a lot of people would need to feed that in multiple variety of ways. And you, yeah. you don't want, really want to ruffle those feathers, like say, "Hey, honey, I think it's better if you have the eggs." No, I want yeah. Cheetos now. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, but that's what's kind of driving it. Is that imagine that when somebody's not pregnant and they have that same mood shift when they are craving energy? Well, a lot of it's because their hormones are still resistant. They're not working at baseline like they're supposed to. So it's, it's typical for somebody who has high insulin levels within their body or high sugar in their body to crave more sugar um, because they never, they, they're not familiar what it's like to be back at baseline where they should be. So let me ask you this. I knew someone whose mom craved the smell of gasoline while she was <laughs> pregnant. And I said, well, that explains a lot about the way you are then. Uh, <laughs> but why that? I, like, that was... The, I, have, that, I have no idea. That we was are, the weirdest. We are, such, we are so individually different, and we are yeah. so individually weird. I, yeah. th- there's, too much, there's too many physiological medical complexes to go through to figure out why someone craves gasoline during pregnancy. <laughs> Ask your labor and delivery nurse wife about that. I'm truly really going to get back, back to you on that because like <laughs> I, I have a, I, I've heard a lot of weird food cravings like when you're an adult and not pregnant, but I, I definitely got to ask that. One. Yeah. The smell of gasoline. Super. Oh weird. God. Oh, so yeah, there's a lot to weight gain. There's a lot of, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of, you know, you're in a caloric surplus and here's why, you know, you crave this, you crave that, whatever. So there's a lot to it. You, t- you were talking about something called metabolic flexibility. I have no idea what that is. Tell me what it is. <laughs> sure. So, it's, so I like to use this a lot because you'll even see this in well-trained athletes. You'll see this a lot in more of people with bones and with like Connor's space where they have an innate metabolic flexibility where their body is able to uptake sugar very well and also be in the state where they're physically able to burn fat efficiently and this is what metabolic flexibility is you have the adaptation and the ability to burn the instant energy source we have which is glucose so when you're stressed when you have like a, a lion running at you glucose comes out of the cell into the bloodstream so that it can protect you and give you the energy you need to fend off that problem Mm. but When you are in the metabolic inflexibility, this is where the people will start to not do a lot of trial and error with their dietary approach. And that is simply, we want to maintain the exercise, but there are a lot of people, and I've seen it a lot in my diabetic patients, is that they are so used to taking in glucose and only burning the glucose that they took in. And then when they do that, they are not 
getting the ability to get to their fat stores by using a different fuel source that they have, which is called ketones. And there, there's a little more in depth with that, you know, with nutritional ketosis and everything. But I rather like to see it as metabolic flexibility where people, when they exercise or their diet is, it gives them the ability to be flexible at burning instant energy source in the form of glucose and the ability to burn fat and not retain so much fat. So if you're always coming from this perspective of eating glucose or eating fat and not burning it, this is where you start to become significantly metabolically unwell and your body's going to have a hard time being able to confuse itself by burning both of those, those two aspects. So Exercise and your dietary approach is going to make you metabolically flexible. This is why we don't prefer fat over carbs. We just want to have that flexibility to, when I do an exercise routine, I want to have the ability to use my fat stores, but I also want to be able, for performance measures, to be able to use glucose and have it readily available so that I can maximize in that aspect. And we had just done an episode on intermittent fasting, and one of the big things with intermittent fasting is being able to tap into some of those stores. So like your your fat stores or some of your glucose stores that remain when you do these fasts, because the longer you fast, the more your body starts to tap into some of these sources that never get tapped into, because um, most people don't fast long enough to actually, you know, get into those things. Like a twelve hour fast probably isn't quite long enough to start to get into some of some of that. So, um, and it depends where your set point is. Like if you're an right. individual that is so used to having excess glucose in your cells, like I always like to use the analogy with cells, like, okay, you're all, all of your muscle cells are dive bars and you're at capacity. But if you keep feeding capacity, you're shoving in a ton of people into those cells, making them overpacked. And people, depending on their metabolic state at that time, you know, a 12 hour fast might make you feel better mentally, you know, yeah. physically, but yeah. you, you, depending on your metabolic state, you might have a lot of excess glucose in those cells sure. and you have, you might have a lot of storage that you, it takes time to actually get down to that ideal, like glucose level you're looking for, or the, uh, access that you're trying to get to by burning fat. So it just right. depends where the person's at. Yeah. So next question, because we're going to be talking about uh, this type of tissue in a, here in a little bit, what is uh, brown adipose tissue and white adipose tissue? Yeah, very, this is a very good question because this is kind of the, like the intriguing physiological sense that I have, like trying to do more research and just trying to see like, okay, there's obviously some metabolic effects that are beneficial to people. There are ones that, you know, are more associated with chronic disease. And ultimately we have a difference of brown adipose tissue and white adipose tissue. Now, when we have brown adipose tissue, this was originally found in mammals first, but then we started to do a little more research and hopefully we can get to the point where we start to do even more research on brown adipose tissue and like i said these are all theories but physiologically what brown adipose tissue is is that it has a higher amount of good cellular function that has been associated with your body's ability to burn fat more efficiently and this and adipose is just a fancy way of saying fat so it is a type of color and it's a type of fat tissue that has been associated with helping you burn fuel much more efficiently. And 
when you're younger, that is really, really high. It's You have a higher a concentration or a higher amount around your organs that is going to have a higher amount of brown adipose tissue. And as you age and as you progress, your brown adipose tissue is going to reduce over time. Makes a lot of sense is that, you know, most of my body is going to need fat because I need to protect against other types of threats as I'm an adult. Um, but brown adipose tissue, what they're actually trying to figure out are ways to actually increase brown adipose tissue, which is what we can talk about in a few minutes. But brown adipose tissue simply is a fat tissue that's been associated to improve cellular function and to help you burn fat a lot better. Okay. Now, white adipose tissue, this is the stuff that everybody knows where it's at. If anybody's got love handles, if anybody's got fat on the inside of their skin, but on the outside of their organs mm. where fat accumulation occurs, this is white adipose tissue. And this is where we have, it's simply the opposite. We have white adipose, white fat tissue that is actually lower in cellular function. Doesn't really do a lot of great work, but it also is mainly known for storing fat, right. not burning it. So this is where a lot of people, when they start like their dietary patterns and they start shifting a lot of their eating patterns and they start improving their lifestyle, they're really good at burning a lot of that white adipose tissue, that accumulation of fat. But a lot of people don't really focus on the fat that is on the outside of your organs directly that is mainly associated with metabolic disease. And if that brown adipose tissue starts to change or it starts to accumulate more white adipose tissue, yeah. then we're not going to really be able to help not only our organ function, but also our ability to burn fat in the long run. So we separate brown adipose tissue and white adipose tissue. The brown is going to be much more beneficial to metabolic health, getting back to that metabolic flexibility. And the white adipose tissue is going to have a lesser impact on your cell function. And it's going to be actually making you more susceptible to increase weight and maintain that weight. I, uh, I think about the white adipose tissue and I didn't know this was when, you know, this is just, what I thought of as fat. I didn't know there was different types of fat. So there used to be a, a commercial for a, a weight loss pill where like it was a really fat person and they, they took the pill and it like, what it's like a cross section of them and the pill goes down and it, you know, dissolves. Dissolves. And then, the fat. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, and then their fat actually just disappears. That's how that pill works. It they get so slim, and that, and now they put on a sexy bikini, or they yeah. take their shirt off, and now, and I just but, mir miracle, I got rid of all the fat. With a pill, yeah. With a pill, but that's, oh, that's the, how wonderful. Uh, the white adipose tissue that the commercial was showing just disappearing was, that I didn't realize, I never really realized there was two types that, so and we is. can also call that subcutaneous fat. A lot of people in the medical community, like subcutaneous fat is very similar to have the components of white adipose tissue. But, you know, when you have, um, uh, how do I want to phrase this? When you have more of that brown adipose tissue and stuff, that tends to be more, visceral, uh, more visceral fat. So yeah. the visceral fat, if we start accumulating that as white adipose tissue, and that fat on the organ starts to become dysfunctional, this is where you start getting a lot more diseases, not only uh, of the body, but of the organ in itself. So we don't, want, we don't want fat to accumulate specifically on the organs, but right. obviously what we're used to burning is the fat that accumulates 
all over our body that's not near the organs. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. So we talked about metabolic flexibility, which is being able to burn multiple types of fuel, whether it's fat, glucose, carbohydrates, whatever. Um, and then we talked about white and brown adipose tissue, which, like I said, didn't know that existed. So now we're going to talk about something, obviously, that you're passionate about with RFF lifestyle is lifestyle as medicine. There's a lot of different things that, I mean, we've talked a lot about the, the medical, current medical system is very reactive. It's not proactive. We're not talking about how you can change your lifestyle. It's what can we do with this pill or this surgery or whatever to make the problem, uh, make the symptoms of the problem less. Um, so what are some ways that you tell your clients that we can, you know, support health and wellness in our lifestyle? Sure. Very good point. So just off the aspect of lifestyle being medicine, I have said it before on this podcast and I'll just constantly say it until, you know, people start to, you know, recognize it and just think of it. Until the pasture raised free range cows come home. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, off of that point, my friend, think about that brown adipose tissue versus white adipose tissue. When you feed an animal corn, soy, wheat, antibiotics, it tends to be more white in color. Hmm. When they're fed their natural yes. habitat, it tends to be a little bit darker, a darker in color. Yeah. They have a higher amount of brown out of post tissue than they do white. Oh, so okay. that's that, that's also something a farmer is probably going to know a lot more about than me. Yeah. But ultimately, the quality of the fat that you have is going to make a huge difference. But I, that's awesome. It yeah, makes a lot of sense, though. That's one of the first things we notice with this uh, grass, you know, grass fed, grass finished, everything, especially the pork. So like you go out to the store and you buy pork, what color is it typically? Straight up white. <laughs> it's like, yeah, pinkish white. Um, the, the craziest thing when we got this pork, it's very, uh, it, it looked, what I thought at the time was unnaturally red. And yeah. I asked about that. I said, why is this pork so red? Well, they're getting minerals that the pork that you buy at the store doesn't normally get because they're out digging in the dirt and they're eating you know roots and dirt and grass you know everything they're eating everything that they should eat and nothing that they shouldn't uh and so that yeah i had no idea that's why the meat was so much darker (laughs) well and the leaner that meat the like the leaner and that color just uh like difference makes you know exactly what the animal is being fed if they're being fed bullshit or if they're being fed their natural habitat so like that that's some of the farmer, like I said, farmers know this better than I do, but the, the food quality that you get, like you can totally tell the difference just based on appearance. So that's most likely why the venison that I got this year is like so dark. I mean, it's just dark, dark red. Meat. Right. No, because they're not in a cage. They're not, you know, they're not being fed. They literally corn, so never they eat meat. corn. It. No, they, they haven't. They, they're like, they're like, what's corn? They, they, yeah. have no, they have no idea because we make corn. Um, so ultimately back to the point of the lifestyle as yes. medicine, the lifestyle as medicine is very key. Um, and there's a variety of simple solutions that I've mentioned before in the past. Just if you haven't gotten my book, RFF lifestyle, simple solutions to a healthy life, like, these are main emphasis uh, factors that you can actually include that's going to make a huge impact in your lifestyle on a regular basis. And that is simply if you eat real food, 
If you exercise regularly, if you get quality sleep, if you reduce your stress, and if you maintain healthy social relationships, and you laugh a little bit from time to time, then you're ultimately going to be in a much better metabolic and chronic disease state because you're not going to have a chronic disease state. You're going to be metabolically healthy, as we call it. And majority of our population is not metabolically healthy. And is it mainly people's fault? The answer is no. It's mainly just because of our environment that we're exposed to, foods that are designed to make us overeat. And then we also have an idea that normalizes not exercising until January or until you want that beach body. And then you also have the lack of sleep because we're on such a high stress job and then you have a lot of people that don't you know they they may not go to church as much anymore or they don't meditate take time to just take deep breaths and relax and enjoy their actual quality of life by appreciating things more like you combine all those factors um that's going to make a huge difference on your lifestyle and med and that is going to be the best medicine for you but i will say with it being the most important factor to your health i do want you to narrow your focus i want you to focus on one priority of health that you can work on right now that is realistic if you yeah if you try and lump all those things together i mentioned into one big package you are likely to go back to the same patterns you've been doing before if you feel like number one is my eating patterns right now start small work gradually and work on that alone because then once you do that you focus on one thing at a time all the other things can fall into place all those things can be patterns that are much easier to adopt rather than just trying to do all of those things together. So those are all the factors of lifestyle being medicine. But when you're really in your own physiological rut or you feel like you need to kind of make a change or do something that's going to impact your health for the long term, start small, narrow your focus to one of those aspects, and then find either an environment that supports that or have ongoing support like a health coach that's going to keep you on point with those things. Because then by the end of it, you're going to be on your own and you're going to be free from all the sickness and all the chronic disease that right. you have been happy to be out of. Well, you know what they say, there's only one way to eat an elephant and it's one bite at a time. And I think something that people forget, especially in uh, s- sort of reversing some of these negative habits and societal things that have been sort of drilled into our brains is it's going to take time. And I think a lot of people get upset when they don't see results uh, after a week, after two weeks, after three weeks, me being one of them, I, I get frustrated. It's like, I've been, I've been intermittent fasting for a month and I have barely lost any weight. Like what the shit? Um, the thing that we have to remind ourselves is this stuff takes time. So you're talking about like changing legit habits that we're hardwired with a lot of times that we've had since we were children. And then depending on how old you are, you're going to have that habit for a long time. So give yourself a little bit of grace and understand that this is going to take time. And it's not like overnight change is going to occur. Now, that being said, there's a flip side. So at the end of 2018, I had like my bucket moment where I I could no longer continue my life the way it was. I couldn't bend over to tie my shoes anymore because I was my stomach was so big and I really like I couldn't do it anymore so it in a month I was able to 
completely change a lot of things that I was doing because I, I, I hit that in my, from my perspective, rock bottom, but that's not sustainable. That level of intensity that I had for that month, month and a half, I don't operate at that level 95% of the time now because it's just not sustainable. Um, it's just, it's just not, I wish it was because it was very fulfilling. It was like, I lost like 30 pounds in a month because I just hit it hard and I didn't give a shit. And I, <laughs> and you, it was you great. You were on a mission, man. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was on a mission and it didn't matter. And, right. and I made a lot of progress in a very short amount of time, but, uh, this is a long game. Wait, is it a lifestyle? It's a lifestyle. Oh, all right, all right, just check it. Yeah, it's a but, lifestyle. No, but that's what it is. Is that like when uh, this is what comes into my head? Like after doing this for eight years as health coaching, and you know, Bones and Connor may also kind of relate to this as well. Is that like we want to actually provide what have been the benefits of what you've been doing? You know, maybe you're not at your weight loss target yet while you're doing periods of fasting, but how's your mood? Right. How's your sleep? How have you benefited from doing this action? And yeah. once you start to feel like those benefits, normally the secondary goal comes much later, but you don't even realize it until you actually recognize that you are doing something good. You are yeah. feeling better. You like you you're people tend to focus so hard on that number objective measures but the subjective measures are just as important how do you yep. feel do you feel like shit or do you feel like you can conquer the world when you fast like right. th that's that's the some something that we should continue to drive towards and you will get there like it's your goal is still there it doesn't change but the timing of it and the support that you have towards that goal is what you need to keep and maintain yeah and i think part of this moving towards healthier lifestyles, something that we also have to remember is like, you have to be open to new opportunities and learning new things. So we're talking about stress relief and you mentioned specifically breathing exercises and going off of that. Something that I've thought about for the last really like seriously thought about it for like the last year is the Wim Hof method. And some of you might be familiar with that. Some of you might not be familiar with that. And it basically revolves around three pillars. One is breathing, so breathing exercises. Second one is cold exposure, and it can be any type of cold exposure. And the third one is commitment. So um, I didn't really know anything about a lot of this stuff, though, until the last month because we bought his book. I've been reading his book. I've been doing the breathing exercises, and I've been doing the cold exposure. And it's something new that... It's it's been tough at times because like the cold exposure is hard. It's not easy to do it, but when I do the method, I feel good. You know what I mean? And that's what with any of this stuff, you have to be willing to open your mind and open yourself up to these opportunities because something could be a game changer and if you never try it because you're stuck on whatever bullshit you're you're doing, then you're never going to learn anything new. Um, so that's that's the other piece of is changing habits is just being open to learning new habits. Yeah, and and off of that point, just you mentioning like the Wim Hof method. Yeah, I, I, I was happy to admit to you in our previous conversations that I don't know what the <laughs> hell you're talking about. So like you, yeah. can, this is the beauty. I say this all the time, especially in the health space. This is the beauty of like 
having my knowledge and expertise, but then you have like your closest friends, your family members, they enlighten you <laughs> right. on something that you've never heard before. It's like breathing. I do that all the time. It's subconscious, whatever. Yeah. But, but then <laughs> you start to be like, okay, maybe this is a physiological like benefit. And maybe right. I can like adapt what Corey taught me or what somebody else did. And the idea is simply getting uncomfortable. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but I want to be able to have people know that we want to validate every single struggle that people go through. But the best motivator is self-motivation, and that requires you to get uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. If that's via cold exposure, so be it. If that is periods of fasting, so be it. But while you're doing those uncomfortable things that may physiologically benefit you, do you have yeah. that support system in place? So I'm always open to learning new things and being able to see how can I apply a healthy behavior that can physiologically impact my patients. And when you have coaches or a support system that is intrigued in doing that, you'll learn from everybody and you'll benefit your own perception of health a little bit. And I'm going to tell you about the Wim Hof stuff, but I also want to touch on, you talked earlier about having like healthy relationships and that goes even further into, you're talking about like having a coach, having whatever you like us talking about stuff, bouncing ideas off of each other. When you have a circle of people that are, uh, interested in self-improvement and they're supportive of different ways to, you know, pursue that beautiful things can happen because when you surround yourself with people who whine, they complain, they drink, they smoke, they do all these things that don't really move the needle, then that's what you're going to do. And that's the type of people that you're going to be around. And that's the type of negativity you need to push out. Well, if you want to, well, if, and I, would, if that's I, would what also, I, I would also add to that too. It's just, I, I created this phrase just because I'm a creative guy, you know, but ultimately I've said this, I've created this phrase called a sayer, like just S A Y E R a sayer. And what do I mean by that? If you say today's going to suck and you surround yourself with people who say today's going to suck, today's going to suck. Today's gonna suck. Today's if you hang suck. out, if you say that you're going to hang out with somebody that you know likes to overindulge, like we have done in previous outings with rugby, yeah. that's what you're gonna do. We we give into peer pressure so hard, but then we make assumptions about health that you know are we hide internally, and that's that's what I think is the biggest problem. Is that if you have a health concern, I want to talk to you about it. But guess what? If I'm a health coach. I got a health concern. I want to talk to you about it. Like there should be that more openness and open-mindedness to just being able to say, Hey, I got a problem. I might need a little bit of help during it. Whether that's a friend, family member, your significant other, whatever that case may be, those strong relationships are going to set you up for success. Now, personally, I don't like the idea of throwing out those relationships. Um, personally, just because we all are imperfect, we're all probably going to have like the same ruts that people fall into, but I want to learn from those. So say, for example, you're in that environment where people are always drinking and people are always like going to that hard point, or you're always going and eating out with somebody who's has that negativity, has that mindset. I would just ask yourself a question and say, is that the type of personality or the type of life that I want to lead? And if you kind of reflect on that moment for a little bit, you know, you are you're able to learn how to cope in that environment. You're able to learn how to adapt in that environment because adaptation is key because I don't want to get rid of my friends. 
I don't want to get rid of anybody that's going to potentially have a negative effect on my lifestyle, but I do want to learn from those situations. I want to learn from that because one of the biggest disciplinary factors, and I I think somebody said it, I, I don't remember who said it very well, but discipline is not something that you just do when things are getting great. Discipline is something that you are going to do when things get hard. Right. And if you have that overcoming ability to make it through those challenging times, guess what? You are going to be so much happier. You're going to be so much healthier. And you're going to be able to cope with the everyday societal environments that you're exposed to and not feel guilty about yourself if you do get involved in that environment from time to time. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't like to burn bridges, but I also experienced when I started my health journey, I had a lot of people in my life who didn't understand what I was trying to do and weren't super supportive. So like I did tempo, have to sort of... like uh, you're one of your close friends. <laughs> yeah, I didn't support Absolutely you at all. You, yeah. you stink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that point, though, I had to like cut some. I had to sort of isolate a little bit from that type of negativity because I was. I was so determined to, to fix my shit. <laughs> you know what's best. Honestly, at the end of the day, if, if you're that focused on your goals and you feel like it's a limiting factor, you, yeah. you, you address it head on or you go ahead and, you know, you put yourself in a positive environment to succeed. So you, you got to play that out. And that's the beauty of life. You got to figure out like, okay, this is not beneficial at all. Or maybe this is something that I can practically, practically work around. You are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So think about that. Ooh, I like that. So you want to learn about some Wim Hof stuff, Tempo? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck! Should have smoked that cigarette before this podcast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the Wim Hof method is, it comes off as kind of crazy. You've probably seen this guy. He's called the Iceman. Okay. He loved, he's, you see videos of him, like, uh, you know, holding himself up on one arm on top of a mountain, and he's underwater, covered in ice. He's swimming in the Arctic Ocean. Um, but his method is actually very simple. And it, like I already said, it combines breathing, cold therapy, and commitment to help you uh, connect like more deeply to your body. Uh, and it, and the breathing involves like powerful inhalation, and then you just kind of re- relaxed exhalation, and then prolonged breath holds. Um, and so you do breathing exercises and guided breathing exercises. I do all my guided breathing exercises with Wim on YouTube. <laughs> and those have been really interesting. But um, some of the things that can come out of uh, the Wim Hof method, uh, here's some benefits. So you can have increased energy. You can have better sleep. You can reduce your stress levels. Heighten focus and determination, increase willpower, stronger immune system. Um, not all of these are like exactly supported by scientific evidence, but these these are also some that have they're like perfect example. There was a guy who had Crohn's disease. After two weeks of following Wim Hof method, like strict Wim Hof method, for two weeks the Crohn's disease uh, symptoms almost completely dissipated so some other some other things that are not entirely proven by scientific evidence yet but voluntary influence of the nervous system and immune system anti-inflammatory effects decreases 
in flu-like symptoms, increased levels of nervous system neurotransmitters, reductions in altitude sickness, and improved oxygen during uh, delivery during exercise. So the cool story that I can tell about this specifically, Wim Hof went to, he did a study at Wayne State uh, here in Michigan. Michigan! (laughs) Yep. And they injected uh, him, and I think it was 12, no, it was 29 of his practitioners with some sort of flu-like bacteria that elicits a major reaction within an hour. It doesn't last long like the flu, but it elicits those very similar symptoms very quickly. And so they inject it intravenously through a needle or whatever. And what was crazy is uh, none of these people displayed any symptoms, but they were doing the breathing exercises. And when he talks about, you know, when they do this, like he just does his breathing exercises and he, he wills his body to not feel the illness and he didn't he didn't get sick none of them displayed any type of flu-like symptoms after that hour um he was immersed another cool one he was uh in an ice bath for like two hours and this is a guinness book world record he they wanted to test whether his body temperature his core body temperature would drop and it did at first so it he dropped down to like 92 degrees which is pretty dangerously low. Um, and it kept dropping. But after a certain amount of time, it, he started to raise his own body temperature while he was still in the ice back up to normal body temperature. And he was able to stay in that ice bath for hours um, through the breathing exercises, the, the commitment, all of these, you know, all these things. Um, one of the big things that has been pretty much proven with science is there's anti-inflammatory effect produced by the techniques. Uh, There is a very serious, uh, you can adjust to high altitude environments a lot easier just by working on some of these breath exercises. You can increase your athletic performance, which I thought this one was bullshit. And I tried it yesterday at the gym. I was doing heavy deadlifts and in between sets, I was doing modified like Wim Hof breathing. Um, and maybe it was a placebo effect, but I haven't done any heavy deadlift like I was lifting yesterday in years, only because I just haven't. And um, last week I was doing heavy deadlifts and they felt like shit. And then yesterday I was doing the Wim Hof breathing in between sets. I felt really good. The weight moved easy. I didn't feel super taxed. It was pretty incredible. I and that, like I said, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's a placebo or what. Um, but the other bit of it is cold water exposure or cold exposure in general. And he's a big proponent of like literally just going to the cold. If it's cold shower, if it's getting into a natural body of water, if it's a cryo, you know, cryotherapy session, or you know, just sitting out in the cold. Because like right now in Michigan it's <laughs> zero degrees, and it's single degrees uh, in Chi Town too. It's very yeah, yeah, it's very cold. So I have noticed that is challenging. But when you do it, 
there was one day it was about five degrees outside and it was snowing. I sat out on the deck of our house with no shirt on and just shorts. I sat out on the deck. It was cold. The first like 30 seconds to a minute, I was, I immediately, I was shivering. It was freezing cold. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? But <clears throat> I followed Wim's advice and he said, like, do the breathing, you know, get into your head and just, you know, just let your body do what it can do. That's what he always says. Let your body do what it is able to do. And I was able to be out there for seven minutes just sitting there. Um, and it does make you feel good. You do feel like a boost in energy. You feel like, um, you're obviously cold, but as far as inflammation goes, when I do like cold soaks, definitely helps with muscle soreness, but I don't know. I think a lot of it goes back to the discipline piece, like doing these things every day. Um, I can't say I've done every single thing every day, but I've done cold exposure almost every day for the last two weeks. Um, it's hard to say. I, am, I haven't done it long enough to know if there's going to be some real benefit to it or not. But what I can say is doing the breathing exercises, um, I've had some borderline like hallucinations because of just the amount of oxygen that you're, you're like, you're oxygenating your blood system. Like your blood system, like crazy. Yeah, you just a hyperventilation alone. Can, it's basically controlled hyperventilation. You, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's trying to control that stress response. Yeah, yeah. And so during those breath exercises, especially when you're holding your breath, uh, you start to. For me, I get a really floaty feeling. I feel like I'm just floating in space, and you can kind of just feel the blood running through your veins. You can feel your heart beating, and. Before you know it, because these breath holds are designed to be a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes. Um, I don't know that I've ever held my breath longer than a minute. And within the first week, I was going for at least a minute and a half, which was pretty cool. And you don't even think about it. You're, sit, you're laying there and you're doing the breathing exercises. So you do like 30 deep breaths, kind of, you know, big in and then let it out. And then you hold your breath and you're like, you don't even realize before you know it, it's been a minute, it's been a minute and a half and then two minutes. Um, I've definitely noticed and the, the sense of relaxation after those are done, it takes about 10 minutes, but man, I feel so chill and relaxed. And like, that's the best time to do the cold exposure is right after you do the breathing exercises, because your body is actually less receptive to pain your pain receptors are sort of turned down a little bit because your blood is so alkaline and it, i mean i'm just saying what when i do that when i do the breathing exercises and then go do cold exposure it's a whole hell of a lot easier it's still it's still not easy but it's it's been really interesting to, can i, to can I maybe can, add a little bit just to this wim hof method that just kind of you're mentioning yeah. just to add my yeah. two cents on it you know yeah. to add a science-based thing to it but yeah. no it's just wait this cold exposure thing i i just honestly think that you know getting uncomfortable physiologically is going to make you well adapted to that stress response <clears throat> in the future and right. what is so interesting about this this is where my mind kind of goes and we can tie things back to like brown adipose tissue for example is that we have a potential to use this Wim Hof method, this cold exposure, as a way to create an increase in heat mm. 
forcing your body temperature to increase naturally on its own. And we talk about this in nutrition and stuff, the thermogenic effect of food. What about the thermogenic effect of your body temperature? What about the thermogenic effect of your fat cells that you have? And there have been some studies. I tried to do a little dig, a little bit of digging just to try and like connect these things. But with cold exposure, if we are actually able to use thermogenesis, the creation of heat to our fat cells via cold exposure, maybe this can be one of the factors that breaks that individual's weight loss plateau they've been stuck with for so long. Mm. And then think about that. If I can use a multifactorial approach to the Wim Hof method, say, for example, the thermogenic effect of fat cells and increasing your core body temperature, what would be a great thing to have after that exposure? The best thermogenic effect of food, which is protein. So if you right. like combine a lot of those multifactorial things that forces your body to increase its thermogenic effect of food, of your body temperature, all those things, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have better immune responses. You're going to have better re- uh, uh, reduction in like infection risk. You're going to be able to adapt well, not only from a physiological standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, which... Mm-hmm. Also leads a little bit more into that Wim Hof effect, just accepting it, let your body do what it needs to do. This yeah. kind of gets more into the spiritual aspect of your health. Yes. And yes. I really think there's some benefit to it. Now, me personally, I'm Catholic, so I accept in the world that there's going to be suffering. And I acknowledge that there's going to be some trials and tribulations in life because we're all fallen, we're all broken. That's just kind of the Catholic perspective. But then you have the Buddhist perspective where it's just like, I'm going to block out that pain. I'm going to block out that suffering. I'm going to let my body do what it's supposed to do. And whatever spiritual framework you kind of work with, your body is going to be in a much better physiological state and metabolic health state if you get yourself exposed to that. And if you take somebody from Alaska and you tell them we're going to Florida and then they go back to Alaska, guess what? They're likely to get sick. It just happens with travel. But one of the jokes that somebody made is that if you take someone from Florida and you take them to Alaska, they're not coming back to Florida. They're probably going to die. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, But it's that cold exposure, that altitude exposure, getting your body used to these types of physiological environments. We call this environmental hormesis where your body is exposed to the natural elements and letting your body adjust back to its regular baseline if you can do Mm -hmm. those things through maybe the wim hof method a great way to combine that maybe with some exercise you know increasing that protein intake you might be able to make a much more drastic impact on your health by combining some of these very you know, seems crazy. It seems weird, but if it works and it makes you feel better subjectively, yeah. it might get you to your objective like goals that you're looking for. So combine all those things and, you know, it can be very successful for a lot of people. When I hear somebody improves their Crohn's after two weeks of doing this method, what is the first thing that comes to mind? That's awesome. Like, that's yeah. so cool. There's some physiological and scientific benefit to it. Let's investigate further. Let's see if there's anything that we can take away the pros and cons of, see, who's yeah. a, see who it's appropriate for. But let's go ahead and investigate. When we get results like that, let's 
see if it works for a decent amount of people. And there's a lot of other examples of significant disease. I've, I've read examples in the book about cancer. I mean, you name it pretty much. There have been people who have done the Wim Hof method who have cured these otherwise like heavily medicated diseases. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And quite frankly, I think that's why um, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. When you look at this, it's like, this is crazy. This is literally crazy. When I read some of this shit from the book, I'm like, this dude is kind of insane. But it makes a lot of sense at the same time. And the big thing that he talks about is even if, you know, you're in your shower and you take your hot shower, if you can end your shower with 15 to 30 seconds of cold, like even that by itself will bring a lot of benefit. Um, even if it's just mental clarity, because it does bring mental clarity. I will, I will say that I just had a cold shower tonight before we got on the podcast and it's not super pleasant, but like getting out, I don't know. It's kind of a hard feeling to, to explain. I want to add a simple societal like comparison real quick. Just this very simple. Okay. It's normal. It's abnormal that the Wim Hof method is happening on a regular basis. And this guy's nuts, but it's not nuts when we attach a charity to a polar plunge. Right. Like, like people do it like obscurely, not a lot, not on a regular basis. That's normal. But somebody who does it on a regular basis and sees the physiological benefit and is able to maybe potentially help people do this on a regular basis and control that and let their body adjust to it, then why is that abnormal? That would just be like a simple societal comparison that I think just sends it home. It's like, it's okay to take a cold shower from time to time. You may not want to do it all the time, but it gets you right. in a different physiological state. And guess where it gets you? Better than you were before you woke up or before you went to bed. Like it puts you in a better mindset and it puts you in a yeah. better metabolic health status. My, uh, my goal for, I don't know when, it, maybe Saturday, because we're, uh, we're going south. I know a good spot to do it. The biggest thing I've been afraid of with the Wim Hof method is the crazy ass people who like chisel holes in the ice and then jump in and sit there. Um, I'm going to try something similar. Like Lake Michigan is never frozen over. So I thought about going there. Uh, there's a river not too far away from our house that I know a good spot. I, I That's like going to be the test of will because that water is going to be like 35 degrees right now. Cause yeah let's also say to your listeners and like just us talking to just like a goal just like an exercise just like the wim hof method you got to start small you got to work your way gradually to that adaptation you can't just throw granny in the water to the wim hof (laughs) method and you know leave her in there for five minutes yeah back up while she raises her hand (laughs) but no it's an adaptation you you got to get yourself prepared you got to get yourself used to it you have to train yourself just like you train your eating patterns your body you know this wim hof method you start slow work your way up and then it's going to feel a lot more comfortable when you have another goal like what you were just expressing so i would say that just to your listeners and for my own personal sake like yeah (laughs) like adapt first get yourself used to that take a cold shower for maybe 30 seconds see how you feel and then make see if it works there's so much troubleshooting so much trial and error and let yourself adapt to these types of benefits that can occur the big thing too 
that with especially with the cold exposure and the breathing put together is your body's first reaction when it gets into really cold anything whether it's cold weather cold water whatever is like when you jump into a really cold body of water the first thing you do is (gasps) you know what i mean like so with the breathing exercises you're learning to control that first initial reaction and once you can control that and understand that you are in control of this experience i'm in control i'm getting into the freezing cold water and i am in control and i'm not going to be in here forever and i'm not going to die once you can sort of grasp that because your body's initial reaction is get out you're going to you're like get right. out get out that get stress out, response out. you know a lion's yeah, around exactly yeah it, it's that stress yeah. response that that makes a huge difference like it, it it is your initial reaction and a little fun tip and you might have seen this in sports with us playing rugby with each other like we we understand how important the breath is like when you're doing cardiovascular work you are doing heart rate variability you're doing a lot of high intensity exercise one little trick one little tip how you know that your opponent is done and you got them beat just look at their breath if they are hunched Mm. over if they are doing one of these that's when you step up your game and say hey i got him because i know i can control my breath better and if that's done through exercise training if that's done through the wim hof method you're going to be so much more well adapted but that is a such important thing sports life you know wim hof method whatever you're doing it all stems from breath your respiratory rate your heart rate your baseline blood pressure all of those things that are linked to improved overall health it all stems from the breath getting good blood and oxygen delivery to your heart to your lungs and being able to control it and when things don't go your way you know how to control it Absolutely. And that's the, yep, that's the whole thing is connecting to your body in a deeper way so you can have control. That's all we can control is our, is ourselves and our body at the end of the day. Right. Also accepting when you're not in control, that also Mm -hmm. can be a big stress reliever too. You know, I used to be scared of flying airplanes, still get a little clammy, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I accept that this is the safest form of travel and I'm not in control, but guess who is in control? People who know what they're doing. But when it comes right. to my own personal health, I'm in control. I, right. I have not only the self-control, the discipline, but it's, I'm also the one that's responsible for motivating myself to have that, to have that discipline, yeah. to take control. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, Tempo, it's been another great time with you. I think we're going to wrap it up. Wait, we did a podcast? Any- what, what, yeah. <laughs> what, what happened? Like, I- Do you have any <laughs> closing thoughts for uh, everyone listening? Uh, yeah, just to, just to sum things up, it's like I, I do want to say, like, even though like a lot of you might have learned a decent amount from this, like this is just my personal experience working with patients, clients, and stuff, you know, like keep it simple at the end of the day. We went over the primary forms of weight gain, how it's mainly a hormonal imbalance. We went over metabolic flexibility, just being able to burn glucose, burn fat, talking about benefits of just getting outside of your own mindset, maybe the Wim Hof method. Um, All of these are tools in your toolbox. Now, you can use those tools or you can not use those tools. And what we want to be able to do is Take those steps one day at a time. When I talk about those lifestyle as medicine factors, do those with one priority. Prioritize one first, 
then work on those things. If Corey's focused on the Wim Hof method, wonderful. He's going to work on that and see how it plays out and report back to either me, report back to Connor, report back to anybody. If I'm working with a client and they're like, man, I really got problems with hunger cravings, guess what we're going to work on? Hunger cravings. Let's not right. worry about the scale. Let's not worry about all of those things that stress you out. Let's work on the lifestyle factors that can make an impact in your life and are realistic for you to accomplish today. We can always get granular. I'm happy to get granular and talk about all the physiology of things and talk about these theories. Once again, I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> at the end of the day, these are all theories. These are all things that have shown to improve people's lifestyles, improve, the, uh, improve their overall health, and get them to their goals at the end of the day. So anything that we can do, anything that Weekly Warrior Podcast puts out, anything that I can try and contribute, if it improves your lifestyle or it changes your perception on your lifestyle, we've done something good. We've done something that people can take home with them. And at the end of the day, really impact people's health and wellness. Absolutely. Thank you, Tempo, for all your words of wisdom. And thank you to everybody out there listening. Put what you have learned today to use to better your life. Don't wait. Don't wait for tomorrow. Do it now. Go do it now. We'll see you next week when we hope you discover your warrior within. <laughs>